Welcome, you guys, to the Low Bottom High Rise Podcast with me, Moira Kasaba, and today we are on the set of the BK Show. Bedros Koulian is in the house. Yeah, well, thank you for coming to HQ. We've got our half day Absolutely. planned later today, and uh, what a great opportunity to be on your show. Absolutely. Big fan I, right here, big well, fan. Well, likewise, obviously. So this is gonna be super fun, this conversation, live and in person, which is such a treat for me, because I don't yeah. always get to do that. But let's start here. Yeah. If there might be somebody out there that doesn't know who you are, mm. How would you answer that question, who is Bedros Koulian? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I always say that I'm the immigrant edge and the American dream. And by that, I mean, um, as an immigrant, we escaped the Soviet Union. I was six years old when we came to the United States. So you know the story, but for the sake of your audience, yeah. uh, my dad was a member of the Communist Party, not by choice. He was because if he didn't accept that privilege, he would have been shipped off to Siberia and never to be seen again. Mm. And so we're from Armenia. At the time, it was under Soviet-Russian control. And um, my dad decided in 1980, when I was six years old, that we're going to escape and come to the United States. And the whole idea there was he hated communism. He didn't want us to be raised in a communist regime. He wanted us to have freedom and opportunity. And he had heard that America is the place for that. And so he saved up enough money to be able to bribe some Soviet um, council members who allowed us to escape into Italy. From Italy, we went to the American consult, and 10 days later, we were in the United States legally. And wow. yeah, what's interesting about that, Moira, is um, when, mm -hmm. we get, when we got to the United States, we, we didn't have anything other than, I think my dad had something like 100. 50 US dollars, mm. a family of five, 150 US dollars. I was the youngest of the children, six years old. Uh, we're living in Section 8 housing, food stamps. Like, the living situation was awful. And what he had told us, like the reason we're escaping and leaving our friends, because as a, as a child, like, I had friends. Right. I had a community. And all of a sudden we're escaping, but he drew this beautiful picture. Yeah. And then we get here. Not so beautiful. Not so beautiful. Oof. Yeah. And Man. so I don't speak the language. I don't understand the culture. I'm being bullied and being made fun of. Ugh. And I was like, why did my dad lie? Right. Yeah. But it's I like, can't imagine how much, not even harder, but for your older siblings. Yeah. Like as a six-year-old, you're a little bit more malleable. Yes. Whew, yeah. That's tough. Here's the crazy part. I thought I had it hard until like about a month in, I would hear my brother and sister who, who so when I was six, my brother was... 19, my sister was 21. So I'm the oops baby of the family. Yeah, same, so, same. Okay, there <laughs> we have that we in have, common. We, yeah, we have that in common. So my two older siblings are within a couple years apart, and then 14 years later, there I am. Yeah. And so I would hear them crying at night in their room. Oh. They had their own room. Uh, I slept on the couch in the living room. It was a two-bedroom apartment. And then my mom and dad had their own room. And um, I would hear them crying, and they would argue with my dad every day. We would just want to go back to Armenia. Like, we don't understand mm. this place. They're older. They have yeah. friends. They have peers. Yeah. Uh, they, they had a life. Yeah, they had a life. And so you're right. I was more malleable. I had more flexibility. Within months, I learned the language, whereas for wow. them, it was more difficult mm -hmm. to assimilate. Uh, but I got to tell you, those first two or three years were so humbling. Mm. And I believe... It built resilience, mm -hmm. resourcefulness, and this relentless mindset in me that I've been able to carry into my entrepreneurship career. Yeah. Yeah. So much. I don't know if I, I, I know that we kind of share a brain a little bit mm -hmm. <laughs> around yeah. a lot of things, yeah. but I'd never really drawn the parallel so much until just sitting here right now with my, I definitely had a radically different childhood, but with my just, gosh, demise into the world of addiction yeah, and having to crawl out of that and realizing, I mean, it took me 35 years to realize this, but when I finally realized that the grit and resiliency and just the level of, you know, what my definition of hard is, mm -hmm. is so radically different than most people, how that was my edge in entrepreneurship, that was yeah. really what became my superpower, it's so similar. And I, I feel like there's so many people out there 
that are holding themselves back, right? Because they think they've got this thing or they've got this issue or they've got this horrible marriage or they've got this depression or anxiety or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. whatever is keeping them just locked up with shame and guilt and less than, that that can actually be the thing. That can be the reason Mm -hmm. you succeed wildly. And oftentimes it is. It's, It's when you become aware enough that I just need to reframe this scenario, yeah. like the suffering, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You suffered in your own way. I suffered in my own way. Someone who might have anxiety, depression, shame, whatever, is suffering in their own way. And all we have to do is two things. One, heal. Yeah. And then once we've healed, use it as a superpower to serve others. Right. And when you do that, that creates, and you know this, I don't need to tell you, but for your audience sake, you have not only recovered, but you have them paid it forward mm-hmm. to such a massive extent and there's a higher level of healing that happens when oh. you not only heal yourself, but then yeah. go and help others heal, recover, For and sure. find themselves. There's a higher level of healing. And, and I think we're both on that quest now. Yeah. And I, I always tell people, I go, what I do in serving humanity is like the most selfish thing for me. A hundred percent. Right? Yeah. And you get that because yeah. it reminds you of how easily we can slide back. Yeah. And you just... For everybody else listening, it's like there's, you know, I've heard this expression, like each one teach one. Like Mm -hmm. you walk through it and our job in the world, I feel like all of us, is to just kind of turn around and extend your arm and help that next person up, like over, over the fence, you know? And we just stay so stuck. So your shirt (laughs) literally says flip the switch. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're talking about, right? It's like, it's. It's sitting down, sometimes it's as silly as putting pen to paper and saying, let me rewrite this story, right? Like, total random story, but I can remember the first Christmas I was without my dad. Mm. And I know you just went through this. Mm -hmm. Uh, First Christmas I was without my dad was also the first Christmas I had a baby. And it was the first time I wasn't in my parents' home because we had always gone home. You know, I'd always been surrounded, youngest of six kids, this huge family. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking I had the choice to feel the pain and the misery of what it was to be without my family, to be all alone, to be without my dad. And, you know, I could, I could ride that story into just depression or I could choose to see it Mm -hmm. as all those beautiful years, all those memories, all those, all those times I got my dad. And it was, it was the biggest, like I was the happiest that Christmas because I got to be home with my husband and that was a new experience. I got to be home with my baby. Mm -hmm. Like I just saw these two paths and I was like, oh, I could look at it this way or I could look at it this way. I'm going to choose this way. But we get that choice every freaking day. Every day. So much of it is that reframe. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> Life comes to us with suffering, does it not? I mean, it's just how it is. Like there are things that are going to go wrong. We all know yeah. that if we have parents, well, they're probably going to die. And if we have siblings and someone's going to get injured or whatever, and if, and if we're married, we're, we're going to have issues in our marriage. It's just the human condition yeah. is, I think it was Joseph Campbell who said, the human condition is suffering with brief moments of bliss and happiness. Mm. And I think that's by design. When you think about the acorn and it has to become this giant oak tree, the acorn has to first, like when it falls off a tree, it has to find its way into the dirt. So who knows what happens? It gets trampled by right. animals, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. To find its way into the dirt. And then it has to go through fires and droughts and, and excessive rain and freezing cold and this absurd heat. And all that adversity will eventually turn that tiny little acorn into this beautiful, massive mm. oak tree. It takes a lot of suffering for it to become this majestic yeah. thing. That is us. That is the forging 100%. of the human spirit. I mean, we we all work out, and if you don't work out, you should. If you go into the mm-hmm. gym or you're on the road running or jogging, doing Pilates, whatever it is you're doing, you're testing your body, your muscles yeah. against resistance. Well, is it not, isn't it not fair to ask for emotional and mental resistance mm-hmm. as well so we become more resilient in yeah. that way? And so when we're able to reframe and go, okay, this isn't happening, you know, we've all heard this to me, but it's happening for me. What's the gift in this? Right. Like you said, the path. Yeah. I could look at it as I'm without, 
or I can look at it as what a gift. I've now got my own babies. I've got my husband. I can start a new tradition. Yeah. This could be carried on to their families, etc. cetera. Uh, and when we are able to reframe what I say, turning chicken shit into chicken salad, yeah. you know, because there's a lot of chicken shit that gets served up to us. Yeah. Um, and the more you strive for greatness as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as a, someone who's healing, the more chicken shit you're going to deal with. How much of it can you turn into chicken salad? Right. And if you can, you're going to be a great shining example of humanity. Yeah, totally agree. And it's, you know, I feel like we all, at least our audiences, strive for growth. Like, that's what we're here for, mm -hmm. you know? Like, how do I grow? How do I scale my business? How do I, you know, get healthier in the gym? All these things. You can't get any of that without pain. Right. So you have to embrace the pain. And I think it's one thing to talk about this reframe, this rewriting the story, this flipping the switch. But for, to me, like I want people to understand that it literally isn't just so you feel better, right? right. It dictates your success. You know, I can see people that I coach that like literally can't shake, like they'll have the same situation, two women, same exact situation, and one of them will see opportunity and seize it and build something from it when the other one's complaining about the same freaking thing. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, it's not just so you feel good. Mm -hmm. It's what grows from that, right? Yeah, yeah that's exactly it. And we, we often forget that adversity shows a person who their highest self is. Mm -hmm. And if they've never dealt with adversity, they've always lived a, lived a life of comfort, of convenience, what I call being bubble wrapped for too long in life by maybe mom, dad, society, humanity, whatever, you know, your spouse. At some point, you're going to have to feel some adversity. And if you haven't met your higher self because it's the first time you're experiencing adversity, you're just going to see this as like, man, everything's going wrong. Right. Where someone who has dealt with hardship and adversity and has conditioned themselves to be able to reframe, rewrite, mm -hmm. they go, you know, there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity there. I'm, I remember, for example, the housing market crashed in 2008. Mm -hmm. And when the housing market crashed, I had previously in my personal training gyms, doing one-on-one -on -one personal training. Later, I sold those gyms before 2008, and I became a business coach for personal trainers at the time who had personal training gyms that did one-on-one -on -one personal training. And one-on-one -on -one personal training is not cheap. It's expensive, yeah. $600 to $1,000 a month per person. And so when the housing market crashed, these personal trainers that had these gyms ended up, most of them shutting down their gyms because they lost their clients who couldn't afford 600 right. to 1,000 bucks a month. And I started to realize that I'm losing coaching clients and if this continues, I might find myself on my mom's couch with my family, <laughs> with, my new, right. with my new wife and kids, right? And I don't want that. So as that 2008 housing market crashed, I was like, okay, what? There's got to be opportunity here somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, I get it. It's disaster. The news was telling us, like, we're approaching 12% unemployment rate. Right. Um, you know, people are out of jobs. No one's got any money. The, the banks are going solvent. Like, oh, my gosh, it's the end of everything. I go, well, surely there's got to be someone making money somewhere. There's got to be right. opportunity. What do people want? Well, they still want fitness. They just can't afford it at a higher price point. And so if they want fitness by a personal trainer, maybe I can take those outdoor boot camps that are happening in parks and bring them indoors add equipment, create a process, which we ultimately call the four station rotation. And in 30 minutes, can one coach, one trainer, train 25 to 30 clients at a time, where we only charge $150 a yeah. month, right? And $150 a month makes it a lot more affordable yep. and convenient for people to do this. Now we have nearly 600 locations worldwide. It's insane. And that, that was the literally the precipice of Fit Body Bootcamp. And so Hundreds while, of millions of dollars, this yeah. company, that, that idea turned into. Exactly. But all, or I could have said, well, everyone's losing money and I'm losing money. So this is just, we just have to grin and bear it, tighten right. the belt, go live on my mom's couch. Complain, 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 complain like complain. the rest of the world. Yeah, talk my wife. And for a brief moment, that idea ran through my head. Like, okay, I can talk my wife into, hey, we have to live with my parents for a right. couple of years maybe, you know? I'm like, wait a minute, dude. There's opportunity here somewhere. You just have to seize it. And talk about opportunity. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when we're asking ourselves the right questions, like, some people are making money somehow. There's an opportunity here. I'm just not seeing it. When you ask yourself, you know, we've all heard it, better questions, you get better answers. Mm -hmm. But when you're stuck in the, I mean, we're talking about neuroscience here. Like this is, I love brain science. 
And we're talking about, you know, getting stuck in these negative loops that we've had our whole life that we literally, you can't see the opportunity. The answers won't come. Like it's never going to come to you when you're locked in over here. But the second you start to say, maybe there's a gift here. Maybe there's an opportunity here. You're going to get like downloads Mm -hmm. for a multi-million dollar company that yeah. you couldn't, you wouldn't have had yeah. if the problem didn't exist. Being open to the opportunity is yeah. so important. Um, I've heard Tony Robbins say this once. Uh, he said, he said, change is instant, mm-hmm. right? Change is instant. And this is why it kind of came up with the flip the switch concept. Like we can mm-hmm. flip the switch immediately. Yeah. We may suffer with the idea of change. And the example that I always tell people is like this, this battered woman who's in a shitty relationship and she's been in it for a decade, and she knows it's not a healthy relationship. There's verbal abuse, there's physical abuse, there's emotional abuse, and she endures it all for a decade. But then, something happens where that, that shitty husband does something to the child. Mm-hmm. Maybe slaps the child, hurts the child, and now that woman's had enough. There's like, a moment. There's a moment. Yeah. And so really, there is a flipping of the switch. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, change can take place in an instant. You just suffered for 10 years right. before you did that. The decision is made in an instant. And if we can figure it, realize that, okay, there's an opportunity here. One, be open to it. And yeah. then you will, the universe, God, source, whoever your higher power is, will bestow that information to you. will make it available if, one, you're open to it. And two, you have to realize... You have to strike when the iron is hot. Like you have to be open to taking that leap of faith. Everyone wants the, well, is this guaranteed? Right. Is this going to work out for sure? That doesn't work very well in entrepreneurship. (laughs) No, it doesn't work well in employment. I mean, one company gobbles up the other company and tomorrow you get a pink slip. People think that, you know, I work for IBM or whatever, some big company and I have a safe and secure job. Yeah. Until it gets outsourced or gobbled up or, and your position is redundant. And so here's your pink slip. Goodbye. Yeah. There is no guarantee. So I'd rather bet on myself. Mm-hmm. than hope that someone's going to feed me. Yes. Right? I think what we're getting to is action. Yeah. Right? It is, it's, it's the missing link, I feel like, for so many people. You know, we both have podcasts. We both coach people. We talk to audience from stages. Mm-hmm. And so many people consume, right? They're consuming. We're yeah. consuming so much freaking information, but we're not doing anything. Right. And I'm like, that's 99% of the problem because that change you're talking about that happens in an instant. Yes, it's a decision, but it's a decision. A decision is, I believe, when you take immediate action to do something to change the situation. I agree with that. So can you talk to me about action? So, so here's what I know about action, um, and I'll give you a great. I'll tell you a great story. When I owned my personal training gyms back in the day, they were called Premier Results. Later, I sold those, got into business coaching for gym owners, and then the uh, the housing market crashed, and I created Fit Body Bootcamp, our franchise. But my gyms were called Premier Results, and they were all one-on-one personal training. The model was like this: we had ten to twelve personal trainers that worked at each location. We had two sales managers. So Moira comes in, she gets a free personal training session based on the strength of that personal training session and a nutrition consultation. You either buy six months or a year of personal training and then you're handed off to a personal trainer to give you the results that you want. I had this really, at one of my locations, the Kearney Mesa location in San Diego, I had this very enthusiastic young man who was enthusiastic, polished, had read every sales book out there, Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, Tom Tom Hopkins. And then I had this other young woman who was a little little shy, maybe introverted, didn't quite have the confidence. However, she was one of those people that always just took action, you know, as soon as soon as she would see an opportunity, she would take action and then almost like kind of build the parachute on the way down, right? Mm -hmm. And so this young man who was enthusiastic on paper, he had everything to become a great salesperson, but he was always trying to perfect his Mm -hmm. pitch, his offer, his objection conquering, rapport building, all these things. And so he was always almost like stuck at the starting line. Yeah. His numbers were lackluster, and he was always on the fence of getting fired. (laughs) And then this young woman, Michelle, we taught her the presentation. We taught her how to overcome the objections. 
I told her that you've got to get your first 10 or 15 ugly presentations out of yes. your system. There's no way about yeah. it. You have to do it and you might lose a sale, but you got to get these ugly ones out of your system. And she was just one of those people who was very coachable yes. and it helps to be coachable, right? Uh, whereas the other guy wanted perfection. Mm-hmm. I created this term leaning into imperfect action mm-hmm. because of her. She would always take imperfect action mm-hmm. while this young man would always look for a perfect script, perfect objection conquer, perfect ability to build rapport. Ultimately, we ended up parting ways with him. She got promoted to my regional manager. Wow. Because, and, and you know, again, he was enthusiastic, wow. over the top. Uh, she was very low-key, humble. Yeah. Uh, and maybe even lacked a little confidence, but got the job done because she was coachable and leaned into imperfect action. She goes, okay, if I have to get the 10 or 15 ugly ones out, I might as well do it yeah. sooner than later. I've always said that if I have to eat shit sandwiches, I want to get really uh, good eating shit sandwiches so I can yeah. be done with them and then see the opportunity. And that's a different mindset because yeah. I feel the same mm-hmm. way. And people really don't understand the concept of like, you know, it's that eat that frog or, mm-hmm. you know, get done what you don't want to do first, first yeah. thing in the morning. It's like, I just, I'm wired that way. And I think because I don't allow myself to think it's an option, right? Like it's not an option to not do the thing that sucks. It's not an option to not do the thing that's uncomfortable or that I hate doing. There's Mm -hmm. always going to be a piece of every business that you, that you hate. You got to just do it first. Right. And so I'm like you, I'm like, I'm going to get this done as quick as humanly possible so that I can do the things that I love. I can remember when I started in network marketing, they wanted you to talk to three new people a day, which is, you know, reasonable, Sure. but I freaking hated it. So I finally was like, wait a second, that's this many people a month. And I calculated it up and I was like, okay. I'm going to talk to 25 people the first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of the first week so I can be done in the first four it. days because I don't want to be miserable every single day. Like, I don't want Brilliant. to do this. I don't want to do this part that feels like uncomfortable. Yeah. But I got super freaking good, super right. freaking fast. Right. Repetition. Yeah. Compounded. And that's where I realized you get good at having conversations by having conversations. You get good at social media by doing social media crappy. Like, you got to do everything bad. Yeah before you ever get good. Yeah. Ugh. And again, it's imperfect action because if we're always looking for perfection, it's never gonna happen. It's never gonna happen at the starting blocks. Like you're gonna become a better runner, a better shot putter, mm-hmm. a better entrepreneur, a better everything, everything when you are taking that imperfect action and in the process seeing opportunities for perfection. Yeah. But I think our brain is wired to go, they're gonna laugh at me. Right. If I come out the gates imperfect. And some people might. Yeah, and they might. <laughs> you gotta be okay yeah. with that too. Look, I now, this is the most successful I've ever been in entrepreneurship. I own multiple companies. You know, we, we do $200 million a year in sales across all my companies. And I have more YouTube channels that are dedicated, not dedicated, the channels aren't dedicated, but they've made videos dedicated to hating on me. Yeah. Hating on the project, hating on the Squire program, hating on the way that I post my social media and that I'm so blunt and brutally honest. Like who is he to, and in fact, uh, as an immigrant, I say the word critic, but I was adding the letter T to it, so I would say critic. And there was a whole YouTube video dedicated on me about how I can't even speak English well. Critiquing you. Yes. <laughs> how dare he try and coach and mentor oh people when he gosh. can't even spell critic well. And so I say that because if I gave two shits about what people thought of right. me, which there was a time I did, mm-hmm. that's when I was unsuccessful, mm-hmm. that's when I was plagued with anxiety, and I was depressed because I had no sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And while I was looking for a sense of purpose, I was afraid to put myself out there. Yeah. And when I finally did put myself out there imperfectly for years, and then consistently molded myself to the yeah. most perfect version that I can be, I've got the most success in life, but I also have the most like hate videos and critical videos out there. And then I realized, someone once told me, to, like. Because I was kind of complaining about it, if you want to know the truth. I was complaining to to a mentor of mine, Jim Franco, and I said, you know, this sucks, man, that I've been doing this for so long now. I've got a proven track record, and there's still, like, people who doubt me. They they laugh at me. They make fun of me. He goes, well, what makes you think you're better than Jesus? I was like, whoa, I don't think I'm better than Jesus. He goes, well, there's blogs and YouTube channels dedicated to hating Jesus. Gandhi and Mother Teresa. Right. And he goes, arguably, they did more for the world. Yeah. Than anyone else. Do you right. think you're above them? No, I don't, sir. 
Okay, then carry on. And yeah. that was such a reality check for me. That is such a reality check, even more so than somebody that's big in the world of personal growth or something. Right. Just saying like, hey, look at these big wigs. The more successful you get, the more hate you're going to take on. But even the people that have truly been the yeah, ones that have served the world. Like blessings to the world. And they've got, like, again, there's people out there who are just going to hate because yeah. they don't like something about right. you. Um, I'll take that because it also comes with massive impact and income mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. versus trying to be perfect and really ultimately being broke and anxious and depressed. Right. Let me ask you this, because I know that you reach and work with a lot of men, but you also obviously work with women. Mm -hmm. What do you see the difference between kind of your male audience and your female audience as entrepreneurs? Yeah. How, yeah. What do you see there? So uh, it, it's funny because my male audience, I have 70% male audience across my social media platforms. Mm -hmm. So Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, 70% male, about 30% female. My coaching clients are 50-50. Really? Yeah, yeah, my coaching clients. And in fact, uh, last month, not December, November, so two months ago, I had six female coaching clients in a row doing half days. Wow. And Joan brought to my, uh, to my attention, she's like, you know, you just had six female coaching clients all back to back, and that's not even all of them. I was like, holy wow. crap. And what I realized the difference between male and female entrepreneurs are, are that men are, it's almost factory installed in us to, to drive forward, to see what's around the bend, to go out and conquer. Female entrepreneurs, and the ones I work with are very, I always say they're alpha female entrepreneurs. Yeah. You guys are natural leaders, you guys have purpose and passion, factory installed, but there's also motherhood, yeah. right? And so I see my female entrepreneur coaching clients kind of struggling with that. Like, mm. how do I find that balance? Yeah. And whereas men don't have to do that. Right. Let's just face it. Like when, when, right. when my, what did you say? I got to ask you this. Yeah. We're just going to say it on air. Sure. <laughs> when you came to my mastermind weekend, mm -hmm. there was something you said, men are programmed to something, something and something. Oh, was it kill, fuck and conquer? Yes. That's yes. what it was. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Men, men my husband factory. was in the background. He was yeah. like, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is men are programmed to kill, fuck, and conquer. And it's just in our DNA, yeah. right? And then, and then women are, I think, factory installed to nurture and to yeah. take care of. However, that also means I want to impact, like, how can a woman not be purpose-driven? In fact, right. I believe women have factory installed purpose, mm. whereas men have to go find their purpose. Mm. And I'll prove that point this way. Um, think about this. When... I imagine before having your babies, before having kids, you, you and your husband talked about, man, I can't wait to have kids. He probably thought legacy, because that's how men think, right. like legacy, kids. You probably thought like, oh my God, my babies, I'm gonna take such good care of them, I'm yeah. gonna dress them, I'm gonna look after them, and if they're sick, I'm gonna help them out. Like there is this factory installed purpose because the babies are born from moms and it's yeah. just factory installed. Whereas we just get to kind of visit our babies and then go back to work, yeah. kill fucking conquer and then come back, <laughs> right? And, and so, and so your, your people are like, what kind of guest is this guy? Um, and, and, and so men have to go out there and literally develop and find our purpose. Mm. Whereas women have factory installed purpose, the kids. And so knowing that, well, why can't a woman have other desires as well. Like, I want to create a company. I want to serve humanity. I want to solve problems in exchange for money, as in create a business, an empire. Yeah. But the guilt that women carry because they have to find that balance between, well, I'm mom, I'm a wife, I got to take care of the home. Well, as it turns out, you can actually do both and you don't have to carry right. that guilt because you can make enough money to have a housekeeper that can do the laundry and right. the food and this, that, and the other. And as a mom, let's face it, your kids probably don't want to hang out with you 24 seven. No. They want the quality time. They don't want yeah. the mom who's going to be on her phone yeah. around the kids. They want the mom who's going to be, just like they don't want the dad. I remember Chloe, my daughter, I was talking to her as I'm on my phone and then she grabbed my cheeks and oh. turned it towards her head and I realized I'm an asshole. Yeah. I need to put this phone down. She doesn't want all of my time, right. but the time that she has, yeah. she wants that attention. Ever since I did that, and I do, did it with Andrew and Chloe, our relationship improved because I'm mm -hmm. always thinking in my head, I'm always processing, but I realized I have a finite amount of time with these kids. Yeah. 18, 19, yeah. they're gone, right? 
And so anyways, as a mom, I think you guys have that additional struggle. But if right. you can let go of that guilt, because guilt, by the way, is the most useless, wasted feeling ever. Yeah. Serves us in no way. Well, and this is like what I'm so freaking passionate about. And it goes back to where we started because if you rewrite that story, mm -hmm. right? And it's my story, but your stories become your beliefs, your convictions. Yeah. Because of because of my experience, right? Like I saw myself become 10 million times the mother that I never would have been to my kids because I pursued my dream. Right, because if right? you're not satisfied, right. if I you don't feel purpose-driven. I became the best version right. of myself. Exactly, and that piece is important. And that's what, when, when people poo-poo on that, well, how is she a good mom then? Yeah. Well, what like, about the mom who's at home all day long, but Bitching, she complaining, right. still on their phone, they're right. just comparing themselves on social media all day versus working. Watching soap opera all yeah. day, or like you said, screen sucking all day, and not necessarily taking the best care of their kids because they're fully distracted and don't feel purpose driven. Right. Um, if you don't mind me asking, you know, for your audience, how old are you? Uh, I always think I'm in my 30s still, but I'm 46. 46? Yeah. You look amazing for 36. Thank you. There's women who are 26 that would probably give up a leg to have your physique, to have your mindset, to, to, to know how to eat, to maintain what right. you have. Well, all of that transfers to your kids. Yeah. So do I want to be the entrepreneur mom who's a walking, talking example of like, hey, you could be fit at 46, 56, 66, and beyond, and here's how you eat, and here's how you carry yourself in terms of energy, a positive mental attitude, or do I want to be the stay-at-home mom who's upset and frumpy and doesn't, you know, gives them bowls of cereal and just, you know, puts them on a fast track to diabetes? Right, I'll right. take mom number one, please. Yeah. Thank you. Like, that's yeah. just common, common sense, but people are so hung up on tradition, yeah. which... We're not in the horse and buggy days anymore. Yeah. I don't have to go kill a brontosaurus and bring it in for you to cook it up. Right. Like, I could just actually go to the grocery store, buy meat, uh, find exactly what kind of ingredients I want, and we can make food together. It's 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 a new world, but people think old style. Yeah, and it's about it can become, and every marriage is radically different, right? Yeah. Radically different, and they're definitely. I always say you got to renegotiate the contract sometimes. Mm. Like when I started going all in on my business and, and building my empire. And then all of a sudden I was traveling more. A lot of times I, I work with women entrepreneurs who are bitching because their husband's bitching. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have renegotiated the contract, but have you done it with him? Right. Right? Like he bought into this thinking you're going to be staying at home. You're going to have dinner ready every, you know, every night. Like if all of a sudden you are working 30, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, like you guys have to sit down and it's an ever evolving mm -hmm. process. You know, that, that just that tricky balance and, and communication is so important, but you can arrive at this place that there were times in my marriage I never thought I'd be here. You know, times where my husband was like so not happy with the amount that I was working. Sure. But we've come to this place where we appreciate each other's roles yeah. so much yeah. that it has strengthened our marriage where it Bingo. felt like it was going to break it at one point. Yeah. Which goes back to resistance, mm. right? In the gym, on the road, when you're running, yeah. you're putting your body through resistance, your muscles and your physiology improve and yep. get better. Uh, when we have emotional, mental resistance, when we go through hardship and we don't just ignore it and bury our head in the sand, but actually deal with it, solve through the problems of life, we build emotional and mental resilience. Mm. Well, guess what? In a relationship, there is relational resilience. And we need to get to that point of, oh my gosh, all right, we are testing the strength of this relationship. We are renegotiating the contract. And the process of renegotiating is one party or the other feeling threatened. Because mm. often, and I love serving men. Look, I feel I'm called to serve men where social media is concerned, <laughs> especially in a few of my programs like the Squire program and the project. However, I also, as I coach, as I've been coaching women now in terms of entrepreneurship for the last 15 years, the one thing I hear over and over again is these women start to build more confidence mm -hmm. and build their bank account. Mm -hmm. Some of their husbands, not all, but some of their husbands will feel threatened by it. Sure. It is a feeling of inadequacy mm -hmm. on behalf of the husband. I don't know why that is, but it's that way. And I think if they had a communication, mm -hmm. a renegotiation of the contract, and actually put everything out there, like, hey, what are you really feeling? Right. Is it the fact that right. I'm working 30, 40 hours a week on the business, even though the kids are doing great, we've got a housekeeper, like everything's squared away, 
Or do is there any kind of threat do you feel? Right. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I still love you. Yeah. And I'm adding to the pot. Right. And I can remember so many times just having to remind Brian, like, everything I'm doing over here is for us. Like, it's for our future. It's for our kids. It's for our retirement. It's yeah. for, you know, like, I'm not over here pulling away from you. It might feel like that. Yeah. But, like, that's not the intention. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, and listen, who, who I met in terms of my wife and yeah. who she is today, two different people. Sure. I love that. Yeah. Who she met. And who I am today, two very different people. Yeah. If you were still the same, that's scary. Like, what happened to growth? Yeah, real right? scary. You know, I always tell people, I say marriage will help you develop faster because you're no longer selfish. You have yeah. to become selfless. And then having children. Yes. Like, I really believe I became an adult when I had kids. Yeah. Because I remember thinking when I got married, I'm like, hey, I'm married. We don't have kids. We're going to sleep in. Yeah. Or here's what my day's going to look like tomorrow. You know this, when you have kids, you think you're going to sleep in, <laughs> two in the morning, you know, one of the kids is having a blowout from both ends, <laughs> Right. and I, my wife sleeps like, like with the dead. She sleeps, she's a <laughs> deep sleeper, bless her heart. And so I'm the one up, I was the one up at two in the morning, and I remember one day Chloe, she was probably one and a half, two years old, and her stomach was obviously upset, she was having a blowout from both ends, and I'm trying to wake up. Also comfort her, also clean the sheets with one hand. <laughs> and I realize I'm doing adult stuff finally. Yeah. Like I'm an yeah. adult where yeah. I, I, I say, fuck my sleep. Right. I have to comfort this little baby. Yeah. I have to show her love. I have to clean her up, clean her sheets, tuck her back into bed. And tomorrow Do my appointments don't change. Right, right. No one no one's gonna go, oh I'm right. so sorry, Bedros, you can't negotiate right. this two million dollar deal right. because you're tired. Right. Like that is true adulthood. Yes. And um, I don't know. For me it's it's it was a really special thing, uh, becoming a father. And I think more fathers need to embrace that, like more men, because men still want to become uh, like, hey, as long as I do, again, I kill, fucking conquer, I'm doing my part. In other words, the modern day version of that is as long as I provide for the family and have a roof over the head and make sure they're safe and secure. Well, yeah. listen, your wife might be able to help with that because there's a whole audience of women who really want what she's got. Right. 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 Like, right. why not have her get on board with it? But it takes yeah. a high level of confidence and resistance in a marriage will make that marriage better, just like emotional, mental resistance or resistance in the gym makes our bodies and mindsets better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I have no idea where we're at time-wise, but yeah. before... Like 25, 35 minutes in. Oh, yeah. that's it? Or I don't know. Okay. There's a little box there. I can't really tell. <laughs> we can't Ed see what time us. it is. Okay. 37. All right, good. Um, but what I want to touch on is something that you and I both feel super passionate about, mm -hmm. and it's the reason I'm here today. Yeah. I love the way that you can really explain investing in your business, you know? And as I was making the drive here this morning, I was thinking about all these things. Like I was thinking about, you know, when I first started my Pilates business, like I, I would make a little bit of money and I would buy a piece of equipment and then I'd make a little bit more money and I'd buy another piece of equipment. And like, I slowly got to this point where I had maybe $50,000 worth of Pilates equipment so I could teach a lot of people at the same time. So it was always kind of investing to scale, investing to scale. If I hadn't done that in my Pilates business, it would have just been a one-on-one, -on -one, right. you know, boots on the ground. That's the only time I'm getting paid. Trade time for dollars. Yeah. And so I've always, I feel like I was kind of born into the world with an entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. You know, I was buying literally penny candy from my mom's, the canteen at the hospital where my, mind, my mom worked. And then I would mark it up. Brilliant. <laughs> and I can remember like the Butterfingers, like I can remember displaying it all for the neighborhood yeah. and making a killing because of, you know, investing my time and energy mm -hmm. and my dollars. Yeah to then market up and make a profit. Yeah. So I've always been wired that way. And I believe wholeheartedly the bigger you invest, and certainly there are, don't be too quick, like you can make mistakes. Yeah. We've probably both invested also hundreds of thousands of dollars where we're like, shit, that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's but a for risk. for an entrepreneur, that also comes in lessons. Like 100%. I lessons come from learning from others. Lessons come from losing money for an yes. entrepreneur. Yes. So let's talk about that because Something that, one of my favorite stories, one of my personal favorite stories is the experience I had when I met you and I made the decision to invest. Yeah. 
So yeah. I want to share that really quickly because we were at an event where we were both speaking mm-hmm. in, in Dallas. In Dallas, yeah. Right? yeah. And I'm in the back of the room just listening, you know, getting ready to speak after you or before you or something. And I heard somebody say something. And I always say to my audience, listen to the whisper. I heard somebody say something. And it was almost like I, like, looked up real quick. And I was like, well, maybe I should hire him. And I, it was like a completely random thought out of nowhere. Hadn't, wasn't thinking about hiring anybody. Didn't have, you know, any thoughts around it. Out of nowhere. And then I was like, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to grab him on the break and just have a conversation. Yeah. So, you know, taking action, just mm-hmm. like we're talking about action, action, action. So we had a real quick conversation. And then I was like, I'm going to hire him. And then I was like, pardon my language. What the fuck am I thinking? It's $100,000, yeah. you know? Yeah. But went home, talked to my husband about it. And so I'm sharing that because there was action and decision, which we talked about in the beginning of this episode. But what happened, I didn't expect. And I usually know my own mental, you know, what's going to kind of happen mentally, emotionally. It's what I do and it's what I teach. But when I wired that money, I had been really stuck for almost two years And what am I doing next? What am I supposed to do for the world? Is it a course? Is it a program? Is it coach? Like all, I'd been literally trying to figure it out for two years. And as soon as I wired that money, I felt like, like my brain went into this like hyper mode that I had never tapped Mm -hmm. in my lifetime. And I remember walking into my office and just started scribbling things down. Everything got so freaking clear. I knew what I wanted. I knew what it looked like. I knew where I was going. I knew how it was going to happen. I also had 10 million questions that hopefully you were going to be able to answer. But I walked into this office two weeks later, and I said, I've literally already gotten $100,000 worth. I remember that. And you're like, what? Yeah, I remember that. Because of who I became. Bingo. When I made that decision. Bingo. It's, again, goes back to flipping that switch and change does happen in an instant mm-hmm. because saying that, hey, I, if, I would invest $100,000 in myself versus actually investing $100,000 in yourself, yeah. you become a very different person. There's almost like it's a new level opens up immediately. Mm-hmm. Like Moira 2.0 just came uh, to life 100%. immediately. And I heard the saying many years ago, I don't know who it was, Could have, I think maybe Dan Kennedy, he said, the more they pay, the more they pay attention. Uh, yeah. And you begin to pay attention to your, to your gut, to your inner voice, mm-hmm. to your calling, to your purpose, to your, to your higher self. And that financial commitment opens that up. Now, yes, I charge $100,000 for a year of coaching, and there's very specific types of clients that I'm seeking out. You're, you're it. Like, I can take all 49 of you. I've got 49 domination year coaching clients, line you all up, male and female, different ages, and you're like, oh, my God, we're all cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Type A, high-speed, tightly wound, purpose-driven. Yeah. Like I, and that's why I am. Type A, yeah. high-speed, tightly wound, purpose-driven. And people go, well, isn't that like a negative, like tightly wound? No, no, I have absolute control in my life. I like being tightly wound. I'm not going around having a heart attack, but I like having structure and control and discipline and organization in my life. I don't want to haphazardly go figure things out. Mm -hmm. I want deliberate, decisive action in my life. Like I'm that person and we attract the type of people that we are. And so when you pay, a new level opens up. When you pay, you pay attention. And I can't tell you how many clients have told me that, man, when I wired you that money, when that money left my bank account, I immediately got more clear on things. Yes, I come to you with questions. Yes, I need a game plan, but I knew my outcome. Because what do I ask during the half day? I'm like, all right, Moira, when you leave here today, what does a win look like? You're driving off, leaving HQ, saying, man, this was a win because what? And then you tell me, and then we go, okay, that's what a win looks like. We're going to back into that over the yeah. next four or five hours. And so, and look, it's not about paying 100 grand. To someone watching or listening to this, that could be $5,000. Right. It could be $15,000. It could be a mastermind. It could be a course. It could be a whatever. It is having the faith to invest in yourself yeah. instead of being a spectator Mm. and sitting in the bleachers and watching everyone else playing the game that you want to play, that you know you might be good at, and will give you a sense of significance and satisfaction. Yeah. And I think a, a couple things, too. When you, I do believe that the more, the harder it is, like the more you stretch yourself in mm-hmm. that financial investment, 
the more you're going to automatically get yeah. because you're like, well, crap, I can't just, you know, if I, if you were $5,000 for me, I probably wouldn't have listened to a damn thing you said. You know what I right, mean? Because right. it wouldn't have meant that's anything not a to me. For you. Right. Yep. So it's like you do want to stretch yourself. And I think that's that's so important. And I was reading the book recently, Who Not How. Have mm, you read that? Yeah, yet? great book. Oh, so good. And I think that's it. It's like everyone's like, well, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? It's like you gotta hire the people that are gonna unlock the things that you just I don't have this knowledge. Right. I don't know how to do this. Like it's the who's in my life yeah. that are going to get me from here to here. Yeah. I'm, I'm a workaholic. I can't do any more. I can't do any more right. myself. Yeah, my bandwidth is full. Right. Yeah. So I've got to gotta bring in the who's that are going to go, no, 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 this is how you do it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I didn't yeah. know that. So. But here's something else I've also figured out, and, and let's just call it a spade a spade, and I'm always brutally honest. So the people who have the means, who, again, whether it's $10,000 for them feels like $100,000 for you, correct? Because yeah. it does have to feel a bit of a gut punch. Like, yeah. oh, shit, did I just do that? Like, when people tell me, I'll do it when I... Like when I can comfortably do it. Yeah. Like that's not the time to do it. That's you do not it the when time to do it. And like you said, you have to stretch yourself. It has to be uncomfortable. So you go, oh shit, I'm going to work my nuts off to gain all that back within yes. the first 90 days. And then everything on top of that is gravy. Yeah. Right. And so, but what I figured out is the people who don't invest in themselves and who may have the money or the means, but don't invest in themselves. It's not because... I'm not proven or you're not proven because now you go to our websites and you see a stack of testimonials from coaching clients who are New York Times bestsellers to pro athletes to one of my clients is a multi-billionaire. Um, what they don't believe in is not you or me, the coach. They don't believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's something that has to come internal first. Like the reason right. you perked up in Dallas and you're like, maybe I need to invest in this guy. Is right. You've stacked enough wins over a period of time to show undeniable evidence to yourself and people around you that I say what I'm gonna do and then I do it. Yeah. That ability to follow through and stack wins builds a high level of confidence and you know that when I make this investment, yes, it's a stretch, but I will f unlock a new version of myself right. and find a way to make that money back and then 10X it. The people who may have the money or have access to that money but don't have, have a string of ideas that they never followed through with, half-baked ideas that they started but then put it on the shelf because they lost motivation, right? Right. Well, they're not gonna make that financial investment because they have a track record, which is the opposite of yours, yeah. which is, I seem to start everything and then not finish. Yeah. I seem to lose stack L's over W's. Mm -hmm. And so do I really wanna lose 100 grand because I know who I am, I'm gonna give up early. So to those people, I say go stack wins first and it doesn't have to be in business. Right. Like if someone wants to coach with you and they're like, well, I've got the means, you know, my family, my husband and I, we do well, but I've got this track record of losing. Um, because I don't finish things, so what do I do to start stacking wins? Well, if, if you have a few pounds to lose, go lose the weight. If you wanna start waking up early and doing a cold bath or a meditation or sound bowls, yeah. start doing that. Like, make the investment. The, the brain doesn't know whether it's a money goal or a fitness goal right. or a spiritual goal. Set a goal, accomplish it. If you wanna read 10 pages a day in a book, start reading 10 pages a day. You do it long enough and you go, man, I stacked all these wins, Yeah. right? And then you go, you know what? I feel so much confidence. I'm going to invest in Moira and I'm going to yeah. know that I'm going to follow through because whether it's business, relationship, health, fitness, spiritual, whatever, you stack the W's in one area. This is why we always say how you do anything is how you do everything. Yep. You stack W's in this area, it's going to benefit you in that area. Yeah. I have yet to see someone who's got a messy car, a disheveled physique where they look like a pumpkin or a pear, um, you know, their, their, their diet is horrible, but somehow they maintain a great relationship with their spouse. Right. That doesn't happen. Those dots yeah. don't connect. No. So like I can see a messy car, disheveled physique, disheveled mindset. And I go, Hmm, you're married. I bet you your marriage is on the rocks right, right. now because right. again, you carry yeah. that energy into every area. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the winners have you can only almost sense a winner. You yeah. could you could smell a winner, and you 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 know that because they there's a real confidence about them that is undeniable. Mm. Versus some kind of a swagger where they can't, but they can't make eye contact. They, right. they don't know how to shake hands. They they always look kind of over your shoulder because they can't connect here. Uh, whereas you see someone who's a winner and. They've probably also experienced things in their life. I think yeah. the formula for most successful people is that <laughs> you believe you're better than everybody else. You have a high level of insecurity. 
uh, also at the same time, right? So you have this like crippling insecurity about yourself, but you believe you're better than everyone else. And then, <laughs> and then yeah, and then you have uh, impulse control. Yeah. Those are the three, like, like a study came out and said, the highest achievers in life truly believe they're better than everyone else. And I know I feel that way. I feel like I'm not, not in an arrogant way, but I just believe right. in what I do, I'm better than everyone else. Yet I have this crippling insecurity. I'm this immigrant, crazy? I'm this foreigner, yeah. and I'm always fighting against the internal blue collar foreigner who'd never fit in, you know? Yeah. And then, but I've got impulse control like a motherfucker. Like you can put all, I love pretzels. You can put pretzels all around me and then work. I will get the work done before I reward myself right. with the pretzels. Right. You know, and that is the formula for successful people. And it doesn't matter, male, female, wherever you come from. Um, and so, and then you add to that, you've dealt with adversity. Yeah. You've experienced shit, whether it's, you know, right, uh, uh, drug addiction, or in, in my case, being an immigrant to this country, and even in Armenia, what we didn't talk about is, people always go, well, you got fortunate you were brought to a great country like this. Yes, I did. But in Armenia, I was molested by two older boys yeah. over and over again, between the ages of four and six, for two years straight. And... I don't even want to go into the details of the level of trauma and damage that mm. does to you, how you feel broken, shameful, unlovable, and you carry this shame, rage, and confusion that mm. I carried with me for so long, all the way to the age of 38 when I had this massive panic attack 11 years ago uh, mm. that it was so crippling, I thought it was a heart attack. But I realize now that's a superpower. The reason mm. I can serve men so well is because I've healed myself. Yeah. For a young man to get molested by two older boys, uh, when I talked to my therapist, Kevin, about this for the first time, and it was, I was so reluctant to bring it up, I never brought it up to anyone, and I talked to him about it, he's like, man, I'm so sorry that happened because you know, those boys are supposed to serve as a rite of passage, like right. your older brother, your older friends, your, your dad, they serve as a rite of passage for a young man into manhood. Yeah. This is why knights have squires, oh, right? Yeah. The knight's job is to turn that squire into a capable, confident man. And he says, those, those boys, older boys who did that to you, you know, really betrayed that within you. And I grew up without having trust or loyalty towards other men because I figured <sighs> they're all going to backstab me. Yeah. So any kind of business partnership that I had with other men all fell apart. Yeah. It was all just destructive and fell apart. And I always blamed them. It was their fault, right? But in reality, I was just fists up, metaphorically, mm -hmm. trying to defend myself, protect myself. After working with Kevin, I realized I can talk about this on stage. I realized that what happened to me was an isolated situation. Mm -hmm. And as Kevin said, he said, it's not a mountain on your timeline of life. It's just a speed bump. Yeah. It's an isolated event that happened. And shame on them for doing that. You could either carry the shame, rage, or confusion, right. or you can go out there and heal and serve. And again, it's the most selfish thing I do is to go out there and heal and serve other men that have dealt with either physical, mental, emotional, sexual trauma, because it's such an underserved market. Like most yeah. men are not. I went to a physical ther or a, to a to a um, psychologist, Kevin Downing, because of my anxiety attack that I had. Mm. I didn't realize it was connected to that. Right. I thought I was just overworked and trying to. He, you know, I was in the build phase of Fit Body Boot Camp, and I had this panic attack. And I went to the doctor thinking it was a heart attack. He says, "No, it's not a heart attack. It's an anxiety attack." He put me on Xanax for like a week, and I realized I had no motivation or, or any kind of drive to work on Xanax. I just wanted to like sit there like a bump on a log. So I called him up. I'm like, "Hey, doc, like, yeah. I can't take this stuff. Like, <laughs> this is not me. It makes me numb." He says, "Well, have you tried talk therapy?" I'm like, isn't that for broken people, right? Right. He goes, no. people. <laughs> yeah. He goes, talk therapy can actually, you know, a therapist could give you tools, man. He can give you tools to cope with your stress yeah. and your anxiety. And so I went to talk to my therapist about coping with my stress and anxiety in business. In four sessions, he was so good wow. at building a relationship and making me feel heard and understood that on that fourth session, he asked, is there anything else I can help you in your life with? And I was like, well, something happened to me as a kid. Like, and that's when the real healing started. And that's the listening to the whisper, taking action, doing all those things we talked about. Bingo, bingo. It goes right back to all, yeah. everything here. It's the whispers. The shouts were, oh, I'm stressed. Yeah. I'm anxious. We're trying to build a company, have competitors. The whisper was, there's this burden that I'm carrying, yeah. and I feel shameful about it. And in those broken. moments when you hear that whisper, your brain saying like, don't, 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 don't share this. Don't share this. Yeah. Don't go there. Yeah, like, box, don't take that action. Don't yeah. do that thing. Yeah. 
but that whisper, it's yeah, like it's yeah. the secret to just unlocking yeah. so much. Isn't it true? It's just constantly leaning into the discomfort and yeah. it's so safe and we think it's safe to just stay in the middle of our comfort zone. Right. Really, we have to lean into those walls of the comfort, listen to the whispers, take action. It's going to be imperfect action. It's going to be ugly. Yeah. I remember working with Kevin for 15 months. He told me in four weeks, five weeks max, I'll give you tools to deal with your anxiety. <laughs> but then week number four, I throw that nugget out yeah. about what happened to me as a kid. I spent 15 months on his couch. Some days I would leave his, his office and I would feel like I'm walking through molasses. My legs yeah. felt like they were in molasses and my brain felt like it was in a fog because we unearthed yeah. so gets much shit. harder before it gets easier. Right? That's for sure. And, and I think that's why we ignore the whisper. Right, because right. I think intuitively we know. Mm -hmm. Like if I allow this whisper to come out, and actually try doing something about it, it is going to get harder. Right. Think about if someone's in a bad relationship. Right. It's, it, it is easier to stay in it. Right. Then go, gosh, we've got to change bank accounts. But I it's get that a new long address. run thing. Like you and I would rather rip the Band-Aid, yes. right? Yes. I can remember the first time Brian and I ever went to therapy years ago, what somebody said to me, a friend of mine that's a therapist, mm. said, listen, you can go now when things are just not so great. You know, we had little kids, that phase of life where toddlers, like life is hard. And she said, or you can wait. Like you can give it 10 years, give it 15 years. She's like, you're going to have so much shit to deal with. You might not make it out. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, okay, we'll go. Here we go. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and I know what people are going to say, and I think we need to address this because, yeah, I just talked about all my clients and myself included were high speed, tightly wound, type A, purpose driven. So it's, yeah, of course it's easy for Moira to take action. It's easy for Pedro to take action. You guys are wired that way. You, you went and bought candies and then upcharged the neighborhood kids and... You just naturally knew. You laid them out perfectly. You probably had a pitch. You probably knew how to draw people in and, and sell your stuff. You probably had an, yes, yes, that was factory installed. Yeah. But guess what? As I was building Fit Body Boot Camp and having explained who I am and where I come from, I come from a communist household where my dad, I love him to pieces, but his way of discipline, he called it the five brothers, mm -hmm. which was the backhand, right? Mm -hmm. I was supposed to be seen and not heard. So now imagine you're trying to build a multi-million dollar company but you don't feel like you have the right to speak, right. to exercise your voice, to ask for what you want from your team, yeah. right? And so I was a very passive aggressive leader. I didn't communicate well. I didn't set expectations. I didn't set deadlines. And then I would get frustrated yeah. when my team couldn't magically read my mind. Right. And then I'd blow up at them, right? Yeah. And the cycle would continue. And I found that same cycle in my marriage. Mm -hmm. I found that same yeah. cycle in my friendships. So but all that to say that I wasn't a factory installed leader. So anyone watching or listening to this saying, well, Moira leans into action, you lean into action, you guys are factory installed this. I was not a factory installed leader. Right. Yet I knew that it is a skill that I can develop. Yeah. And how you are and how I am is a trait and a skill that people can develop. Mm -hmm. If you just start stacking W's, if you just yep. keep promises to yourself, over time you become a promise keeper. Yeah. If you keep breaking promises, you become a promise breaker. Yeah. And so the human body and mind is so pliable, we become the things we do the most. Yeah. And so while, yeah, I, I believe Jocko Willink was probably born as a great leader. Like he goes, since I was a baby, I remember <laughs> wanting to be a commando and leading yeah. a, a group of men into war. I didn't. I didn't either. I, I Especially when you're the baby of the family. Right. You don't feel that way. Exactly. Yeah. I, I wish I could say that I wanted to, you know, I felt like I wanted to be a leader and build a company and I didn't. Well, I was so broke being in this country. I, I was so tired of having seen seeing my family using food stamps and we were getting laughed at and then I had the in elementary school, God, I hated this. The lunch card. I had the oh, fucking lunch card. Yeah. That means you're the broke kid, oh. and you're uh, you go in the. Why they had another separate line for That's kids? That's awful. The, it, it's like the scarlet letter. Of, right. It was a loser. Right. right. Like all the kids would laugh at you. Oh, oh you have a lunch card. Your gosh, parents can't even afford seventy-five cents awful. for lunch. Right. And I remember thinking, like, I want to be so rich that I never have to worry yeah. about money again. Like that was my. Yeah. Let it drive you. It, yeah, it was my yeah. driver. And then I realized, okay, being rich means you got to have employees. To have employees, you got to know how to lead, communicate, right. manage, set expectations. And so I spent the better part of a decade building those muscles. And so anyone that thinks that they can't build the ability to take action, to be a great leader, to be a great orator. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget, English is a second language for me. And and the Anaheim Union High School District deduced that I have ADD and OCD and learning disabilities. They literally put me in the 
classes with the, not only ESL, English as a second language, but in the classes with disabled kids because I would write numbers and letters backwards. Yet, one of the greatest compliments I've gotten was from Ed Milet when he said, dude, you are one of the greatest speakers of mm-hmm. our time, right? And I'm like, well, shoot, I have to learn the English language, yeah. overcome my learning disabilities, and then be able to string words together and paint this beautiful word picture that can move people to action. And so if anyone thinks that these skills and traits are not buildable, yeah. they absolutely are. Do they take work and effort? Absolutely. Are you willing to do it? That remains to be seen. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. And such a great place to wrap up. It's just... Because again, it goes back to where we started. It's the story you're telling yourself, yeah. right? It's like, it's are you stuck in the comparison game? Well, like, well, you guys can do that, but I can't because of this. It's like, well, then that's your reality. Yeah. Like, whatever your story is, is your reality. I always tell people, you know, that are my coaching clients that are working on goals or whatever. I'm like, okay, so we've got the battle plan. Like, we've got the action plan. You know exactly what to do. What do you, do you feel like it's going to happen? And they're like, oh, I'm like, oh shit, it's not. Right. Right. I'm literally like, I don't care what you do. Now it's not going to happen because it's your belief. Yeah. Like you have to build that belief in where you're going because once you have the belief, then you're focused on the opportunity. You're focused on the actions. You're focused on why you're going to succeed versus why you're going to fail. It's it's the biggest differentiator. Oh, that is so powerful. It's funny. We started off with story and belief and we're ending with story and belief. I hope the viewers, the listeners are realizing this was not by accident. It came full circle because that is what matters. Your story determines your belief system. Your belief system shapes your identity. And then once you decide that this is my identity, I'm supposed to be rich and famous or broke and stressed and anxious, Mm -hmm. you end up looking for evidence in life to prove that, right? And we always find what we're looking for. Absolutely. What a great way to end. Uh, wow. What Th- a great thank way you for to the end. opportunity, by the way, to let me share with your audience. Um, oh I think now we're both primed for a great half day coaching yes, session for you. Yes, I am excited. Well, Majors, thank you so <sighs> thank you, much. This thank has you. been a treat. And thank you, listeners. Make sure you tag Pedros in this episode, tag me in this episode, share with your friends, and we will see you next week.